Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. Um, I'm just going to get into today's episode. I'm not going to give you a whole lot up front. So as you may be aware of, unless you've been living under a rock, the DOJ has announced that it is officially opening up a criminal investigation into how the Russia probe got started in the first place. The whole Trump-Russia collusion. Now, a lot of us knew that this was coming. In fact, I would say that the Democrats, they knew that this was coming, which is why they jumped into the impeachment inquiries having nothing to go on. You know, my whole theory of the impeachment inquiry is this. Trump was zeroing in on the smoking gun that the Democrats knew that they opened up a false investigation in order to engage in an international spying operation uh, to affect the outcome of the 2016 election, and uh, something that they failed at. Um, And that when they got wind uh, that Trump was zeroing in and that the investigation was going to turn into a criminal investigation, that's when the Democrats came up with this idea that there was a quid pro quo and had to rush to impeachment. They got a whistleblower who neither seen any of the evidence to support uh, the claims or witnessed anything, but based the complaint off of rumors and that, you know, may have had help from the Democrats in Congress themselves in writing the complaint while being represented by a Clinton connected lawyer. And that all of this was a setup for a narrative. And the Democrats rushed to impeachment. So when the DOJ would come out and announce that the evidence that they had found uh, now leads them to a criminal investigation, they would be able to go out there and say, hey, you know, uh, this is not a legitimate criminal investigation. Uh, Trump is. Uh, weaponizing the Department of Justice for his own purposes, that this is retaliation for impeachment. When the truth is, impeachment was a preemptive strike to get ahead of the narrative about the DOJ finding evidence supporting uh, the need for a criminal investigation and how the Russia probe got started. So I'm going to go through here and I'm going to provide what I think is one of the best evidence that the Russia probe uh, was falsely predicated and that the DOJ is now engaging in a criminal investigation knowing what the Democrats had done back in 2016. So as you're aware of, uh, at first they tried to say it was the dossier. You know, the Steele dossier, which has been discredited in every which way possible, from the fact that it was a rewriting of the hit piece they tried to run on McCain in 2008 to the fact that it was full of a bunch of unverified information uh, from foreign sources paid for by Hillary Clinton and the Democrats and potentially uh, partially funded by Obama uh, and his PAC and circulated throughout the government under a Democrat administration. The Democrats paid for political dirt and then circulated their opposition research throughout the government with no verifiable information in it. Now, since that has been discredited and was discredited a long time ago, they jumped onto this whole idea that it was George Papadopoulos, right? That 
George Papadopoulos met with Joseph Massoud, and Joseph Massoud is a Russian asset, and got information on the idea that Russia had thousands of uh, emails from Hillary Clinton, political dirt, and was going to use it in order to scuttle and uh, damage Hillary Clinton as a candidate. You know, and we know that the you know media and all that have been trying to go off and push this narrative uh, for quite some time. If we were to go back through here, and let me uh, just refresh this a little bit because I'm not going to create an account. Uh, the New York Times, you know, ran an article uh, how the Russia inquiry began: a campaign aid, drinks, and talks of political dirt. And in that article, what had gone on is they talked about, you know, George Papadopoulos traveled overseas in April of 2016. Joseph Massoud was a Russian asset. He got the information that Russia had dirt on Hillary Clinton in the form of emails and was going to use it to damage her as a candidate. And that George Papadopoulos excitedly uh, hearing the news uh, bragged about it in a London bar where uh, Australian uh, diplomat uh, Alexander Downer heard it, and then when the information came out that the DNC's emails were leaked uh, to WikiLeaks, uh, Downer contacted the FBI, and that's how the criminal probe or the counterintelligence probe uh, got started. There's a lot of things that have come out uh, that have debunked this, but it was debunked before they even created it. Now, as we go through here and we take a look at the Washington Times, uh, Maltese professor, uh, uh, missing link in FBI Russiagate. You know, and they go through here and they talk about uh, several things. And, you know, one of the things uh, that is interesting uh, to note here is that part where the professor, Joseph Massoud, was a Western intelligence operative who fed what he knew to retired official. Now, they've been trying to go off and push the idea that Joseph Massoud is a Russian asset. And I tell you what, Russian asset, Western intelligence asset, with the information or the evidence I'm going to be presenting, it really doesn't matter. It's a moot point. It's just a distraction. But they want this uh, distraction to go on endlessly so you don't take a look at the real evidence. But they're going off and saying, Mr. Mossad's April 2016 conversation with Trump associated, associate ignited an FBI-long uh, Trump-Russia probe. In May 2018, Mr. Mossad sat with Mr. Raw's law office in Zurich, uh, recounting his time as an academic traveling in Europe from London to Rome to Paris to Moscow. Okay, and, you know, the, this Washington Times article references uh, the New York Times. Uh, the, you know, the Times uh, could not, uh, or, yeah, the Times could not uh, confirm this. No independent evidence at this point shows Mr. Massoud played that role. I mean, so they're trying to go off and saying that there is some dispute between whether or not he's a Russian asset and everything. But now, let me point out that if you're an intelligence asset, one of the key things is people are not supposed to know you're an intelligence asset. So George Papadopoulos wouldn't have even known, even if Mifsud was a Russian asset, about this. 
and where Mifsud really got the information. Now, why do I say that the controversy over whether he's Western or Russian intelligence asset? Well, because from all we know from public reporting, whether it's from the New York Times or anywhere else, nothing they said, you know, in the conversation between George Papadopoulos and Joseph Massoud wasn't already public knowledge, wasn't already public information. So if the information was something that was already published, already in the public domain, how exactly is this collusion with inside information? Now you're going off and wondering, what's my evidence about everything was public domain? Well, first off, Russia uh, hacking Hillary Clinton's emails is not, wasn't new at the time. That was being reported all the way back 14 months earlier in March of 2015 when news articles uh, were starting on a daily basis talking about how Russia, China, North Korea, even Germany was hacking Hillary Clinton's emails. And did Russia do it? Of course they did. Was Russia the only ones? Obviously not. We got 14 months of news articles from every possible source confirming that there was a lot of people doing it. Do we know that Russia was the one who actually leaked the email? No, we don't. Could have been any one of them. In fact, you could almost uh, go through and say that Russia might have been pissed that WikiLeaks got a hold of the emails and published them because it interfered with their other plans of what they were really going to do with the email. Maybe, you know, and I bring this up because of the evidence I'm going to be presenting now. So as we go through here and we take a look, uh, Forbes magazine in February of 2016, that is two months before Papadopoulos met with Masood, wrote an article, an opinion piece. What if Vladimir Putin has Hillary Clinton's email? Okay, seems pretty interesting, the fact that people were already talking about Vladimir Putin having Clinton's emails and what he would do with them. So as we scroll through uh, this article here, I want to take note of this particular section right here. As a KGB agent who cut his teeth on uh, compromats, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that well, Putin would consider several options on how and when to use the Hillary file with maximum effect. If he preferred Hillary's Republican opponent in the general election, he could release enough incriminating information to scuttle her candidacy. For those who believe Putin would not dare interfere with the U.S. election, consider this strange flirtation with Donald Trump. Putin, however, may prefer Hillary to give him a sitting U.S. president on whom he has a big stack of compromise. If Putin rules out blackmail, uh, the Kremlin could selectively leak damaging information to U.S. allies and enemies that would weaken the United States' hand in world affairs throughout the Clinton presidency. 
So as we go through and we take a look, there was already articles here. Before George Papadopoulos even went overseas to meet with Joseph Massoud, that was already saying that Putin had Clinton's emails and started discussing the various ways in which those emails could be used to damage Hillary Clinton. And before I showed you that article, I brought up the point that Russia may have been pissed that the emails were published by WikiLeaks because if they thought, like everybody else apparently in the media, that Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president, you know, releasing them during the election wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, they, when they could use it to blackmail her or undermine her in uh, international politics and have her as a damaged president or a president under his thumb because of the blackmail information. Now, it's still entirely possible that Russia did release the email and that another country that was going to use it to blackmail Hillary Clinton was mad about that. You know, there's a lot of possibilities there. We don't know which one is true. But what we do know is that Russia wasn't the only ones and that the conversation uh, between Papadopoulos and Joseph Massoud wasn't insider information. It wasn't even a secret. It was already out there being discussed all over the Internet, all over social media, talk radio, and podcast, and any influencer outlet you know, that you can think of. It was already public knowledge and part of the public discourse. So now the question becomes, how does the FBI, how does James Comey and the other intelligence uh, uh, politically appointed heads of the intelligence communities justify opening up an investigation because people were discussing what was already in the public domain. That'd be like, I hear something or I read something at uh, conservative review. And then knowing somebody uh, who was interested in that type of thing, because it relates to whatever business they were in, I told them about it. And because it was such great news, they couldn't help but to, you know, brag about the information that came out that's going to help their business. And then when that information came, you know, comes, you know, to light, you know, whatever reason, the person uh, that, you know, it was retold to, you know, contacts law enforcement and law enforcement wants to know. What shady deals this person's in that they have access to public information? That's really what it is. It's basically investigating you because you and somebody else discussed around the water cooler what was being reported either in the news or on some website and claiming that because you knew what was publicly reported, you must have insider information. Therefore, we're going to investigate you. So how do they justify that? How do they justify uh, the investigation based off of two people engaging in a conversation about public information? Well, they try to ignore the fact that it was public information. I mean, these have to be the crappiest investigators in the history of the world in order for them to try and claim, well, we didn't know that this was already being talked about all over the place. 
You know, they had to have been living under a rock during the entire time leading up to the investigation. But, you know, it doesn't matter. They're just going to go off and deny that this was public information, even though I just showed you proof. They're going to go off and try and say, well, we didn't know that. It was good faith. You know, um, and some people on the right go, well, we think that it started as a good faith investigation, but then morphed and got twisted into something else. And I call bull crap on that. I say that does not, you know, meet, you know, uh, the smell test. It just doesn't. You know, in any uh, review of the situation, there is no way in which they can go off and try and claim that the Russia probe, that the investigation of Donald Trump had any legitimacy to it uh, whatsoever. Now, in going through and them uh, jumping to impeachment as Trump closes in on the smoking gun evidence, you know, especially revolving around Ukraine, well, the Democrats, you know, jump to impeachment in order to uh, get ahead of the story and claim that the criminal investigation they knew was coming down was retaliatory, you know, was weaponizing the DOJ, you know, uh, to get back at Democrats for opening up impeachment inquiries, yada, 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 right? We know it's a phony line uh, that the Democrats, you know, had come up with. So how do we know? Well, because we know that Trump wanting to investigate Ukrainian involvement and interference in the 2016 election and the connection between uh, Ukraine's interference in the 2016 election and Democrats is already documented. So as we go through here and we take a look, you know, uh, Politico, Politico, let's see this article. I've brought this up before. January 11th, 2017. Now, that was over two years ago. Uh, Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfired. You know, so the media's already reported, you know, that Ukraine had gone through and tried to interfere in the 2016 election and that they tried to interfere to help Democrats and that there is a potential that while they were doing so, they were doing so at the behest of the Democrats that the previous administration in Ukraine was trying to, you know, do uh, for the uh, Democrats what the Democrats were claiming that Russia had done for Trump. You know, and so we know that the whole Ukraine and 2016 and Democrats have been well documented and reported by the media for a long time. But now those same people want to come out and say that Attempting to investigate Ukraine and uh, and their involvement in 2016 and the connections to the Democrat is just conspiracy theory. Only the people denouncing it as conspiracy theories are the ones who reported it in the first place. Kind of interesting, you know, that the media's um, defense is, well, their prior reporting was just conspiracy garbage. But now their current reporting, that's the real reporting. Yeah, and this gets to you know everything when it comes to the Democrats. Why uh, the Democrats constantly get caught in corruption and scandal? You know, it's because they can't help but to brag about it. 
they just can't help themselves. They go through, you know, they commit, you know, a scandal. They think they got away with it, and then they got to brag about it. They got to write. They got to, you know, uh, go off and, you know, get some credit to uh, for themselves, but a little under the table. Because they're not even worried about getting caught. As it's been proven, you know, uh, for a long time now, the media is not objective. The media is not there to provide us truthful, honest information. The media is there to cover up for Democrats and push Democrat talking points. And so even when they get caught publicly bragging about all the corrupt things that they did, all the crimes that they committed, the media will be there in order to cover up for them, you know, slander it as a conspiracy theory or retaliation or whatever, deny any and all evidence uh, that has come out about it and say, oh, nothing to see here, folks, nothing to see here. You know, very funny and interesting how that happened. Now, as we go through here, I'm not the only one pointing out that the Democrats rushed to impeachment on a rumor about it, about the about what was said on the uh, phone call between Trump and the Ukrainian president, and of course they never thought that the president was going to release the transcript, but w- that their jumping to impeachment was a preemptive strike in order to attack the fact uh, that the DOJ was turning uh, the investigation into the origins of the Russian probe into a criminal investigation. Okay, so Rush Limbaugh also uh, put this on. You know, uh, the race is on. You know, can the deep state get rid of Trump before Barr can indict? Right? And so he's talking about, you know, the race, you know, here between, you know, the deep state and um, the race uh, for impeachment. You know, it's an interesting uh, deal here. You can go back and, you know, uh, read it yourself. You know, but it all comes down to this. You know, as I've said, the Democrats got wind that the Trump administration and the DOJ was narrowing in on the smoking gun about, you know, the Democrats' collusion with uh, the former you know, Ukrainian president to interfere in the presidential election to help Democrats and hurt Trump. And that the investigation into the origins of the Russia probe, you know, the dirty dossier and the false uh, claims that uh, Papadopoulos and Masood had talked about information that wasn't in the public domain already, you know, uh, that, that all that was coming on. So they jumped to impeachment. So they can claim when the news broke that it was retaliation, it was, you know, um, weaponizing the DOJ and that Barr, you know, uh, you know, is not conducting a legitimate investigation, but, you know, trying to, you know, use the DOJ to help Trump in 2020, yada, yada, yada. And Democrats are very good at narratives and they're very good at, you know, telling stories because they have the media there to sell it all over the place and they don't have any regards for whether or not there's any truth behind it. Now, you know, the PolitiFact, which is another thing uh, that the Democrats do is they build these institutions 
to try and sell that lie. So, you know, the media corrupted itself, let itself become ideologically driven rather than objective sources of information. You know, people started calling them out, you know, as fake news. Uh, People have been calling them out as pushing false information, having big biases and all that. So what happens? Liberals create fact checkers, right? And they start pushing these fact checkers and media starts referencing these fact checkers and they start trying to go off and build up the credibility of these fact checkers. Only these fact checkers are not actually fact checkers and are not legitimate objective sources of information. They're run by a bunch of liberals and they were uh, started and funded by liberals for the purpose of selling liberal narratives and claim it as fact-checking, knowing that the Democrats and the media would promote and boost uh, them uh, and give them fake credibility in order for them to go, well, you don't trust the media. Well, here's a fact-checker. You know, those fact-checkers said this. I mean, I can start a fact-checking website, say put whatever BS I want on there, and I can be taken credibly as long as I get a bunch of white wing uh, sites, you know, uh, to reference it as a fact check, right? I mean, it's really no different, you know, only that the right wing wouldn't actually promote it because they actually care about facts. And if I put a bunch of BS in there, well, they would ignore it and attack me, uh, you know, for making stuff up. But the left, it doesn't matter if they make stuff up. They will still promote it as fact-checking. You know, so they go off and try to rate it's a pants-on-fire lie to say impeachment is a coup. Now, first off, saying that it's a coup and all of that is more of an emotional argument than a factual argument and how you fact-check emotional arguments. Yeah, I'm not sure how. but. PolitiFact's uh, statement that it's a pants on fire, well, I'm going to fact check PolitiFact and call PolitiFact's article here a pants on fire. Because what do you call it when you know uh, the government under the Democrats in the final days of a Democrat administration or you know in the final year of the Democrat administration starts an investigation with no basis to do so? based off of information that the Democrats themselves paid for and paid foreign sources for and then tried to justify it with because of a conversation about information that was already publicly discussed, morphed into tens of millions of dollars to investigate Trump uh, with no basis, no evidence, and no supporting facts uh, on the claims. And then... Once that is done, and after the Democrats take back you know, uh, the House of Representatives on a platform that they were going to impeach the president, starts impeachment inquiries based off of a complaint that was written about rumors that the so-called whistleblower uh, heard about and that the transcripts of the phone call do not support. Impeachment inquiries that come out Just shortly before, uh, they knew that the DOJ uh, investigation into the origins of the Russia probe was going to be turned into a criminal investigation, and that the witnesses for the impeachment inquiry 
didn't actually witness anything. They're testifying about the rumors they heard, you know, from other people, what other people told them was going on, what other people told them Trump said, what other people said this, that, and the other thing. So what do you call uh, two attempts to go after the president with zero basis in evidence and starting an impeachment inquiry with no basis or evidence uh, to support it in order to try and ouster the president after they had run for election on the promise that if elected, they would impeach the president. If that's not a coup, I don't know what is. And the fact that they're trying to go through the impeachment process and claim, well, it's in the Constitution, doesn't mean that what they're doing is legitimate and not a coup. Corrupt politicians abuse power all the time and can corrupt, twist, and warp the political systems and laws to do the opposite or you know uh, of what it was intended or to suit their needs to attack political rivals without basis. It's still a coup. Right? There's no if ands, or buts about that. And Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are producing more subpoenas than they have in passing laws. So that's another interesting thing. Their entire focus has been get Trump. First with the Russia probe that turned out to be a big fat nothing burger. And they knew it was a big fat nothing burger and they still spent tens of millions of dollars hoping that they would uncover something. They ran for in 2018 on the promise they would impeach President Trump. And they're impeaching him are going through the impeachment inquiries with nothing to go on, with no supporting evidence. But that's not stopping them. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you may have heard about a case uh, down in Texas involving a seven-year-old and the mother trying to raise this boy as a girl and trying to go through and, you know, get the kid on hormone blockers, and maybe even discussing transition surgery for this child. And the father has been trying to fight uh, the mother on this and trying to get sole custody. And so I got around to thinking as I read uh, this uh, information and the articles and everything, are, is the left now abusing children for social status and profit? Because think about this. you know. People weren't confused about gender and, you know, what their gender was uh, up until recently in the last, you know, uh, five years. You know, and since this whole idea that gender and sex are no longer the same thing and you can self-identify, you know, uh, as any gender that you want or uh, non-binary, you know, or no gender or whatever. The left has broken out where everyone's trying to claim that they're not the gender that they actually are. This is a simple concept, right? Your chromosomes and, you know, your biological development determines your gender. You really don't get a say in it. You don't get to wake up and just choose to be a member of the opposite sex, or you don't just get to wake up and choose. You have no gender whatsoever. There's only two genders. And it's predetermined at the moment of conception which gender you're going to be. 
So as we go through here and we take a look at this case, you know, uh, as the blaze goes through, uh, luckily, uh, the judge has reversed a jury decision in case of seven-year-old's forced transgender transition. No, uh, the article here uh, goes on uh, to read. Now, let's just pull that up here. All right, so that the article uh, goes on. Uh, a judge has ruled against the decision of a jury in the case of seven-year-old James Younger, who is being forced to transition into a girl, according to his father, Jeffrey Younger, uh, by his ex-wife. Now, when we go through and we take a look at this uh, in the case, you know, the evidence that they try to present is he likes Frozen. Well, I got a newsflash. I got three boys. They liked Frozen for a while. And heck, I liked Frozen the first couple of times. Uh, at about the you know, 25th time, I was getting annoyed by it. By the 50th time, I disliked it. And by the 100th time, I completely hated the movie. All right. But after they got done watching Frozen all that time, what did they do? Uh, they watched Cars. They watched Batman. They watched Scooby Doo. Then they watched, you know, Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast. And they liked that for a while. Then they liked Lion King. Hey, guess what? Turns out Disney movies are not gender specific in its popularity. All right. And so my, and then, you know, they they tried to say that the child, you know, uh, you know, liked a cartoon superhero, and that and that the superhero was female, and yada yada yada. Well, I got a newsflash for you: kids like that. You know, uh, I got three boys uh, there for a while. They liked Elsa and pretending they were Elsa because Elsa had powers of ice. You know what else? They also liked Iron Man because they thought that he was pretty cool uh, with his exoskeleton suit and able to shoot things out of his arm. And they also liked Spider-Man. So they're coming up with this whole, you know, at least on the mother's side, there's, you know, these things that don't mean or evidence anything as justification for why they are trying to force this boy to be a girl. You know, and as far as it goes, on, the, on video, the boy is saying that he likes girls. You know, he likes girls, you know, and, you know, boys tend to like girls. Now, this guy, now this boy is seemingly, uh, you know, going through and starting to have uh, attractions towards the opposite sex a little early, but okay, you know, that's fine. Everyone develops that at different ages. I mean, I got to you know, my middle child going through and saying that he's already picked out a girl that he's going to marry when he grows up, right? Kids say the darndest things all the time. It's not evidence of anything. But the mother, you know, of this child is going through and, you know, putting him in dresses, nail polish, and, you know, posting pictures uh, of the child online, you know, um, dressed up like a girl. And you take a look at this and you start wondering, you know, is the child, you know, really confused about their gender or is it being forced on him? Because as young boys go, they really like, you know, their mothers and they want to please their mothers. They want to 
you know, feel praised and feel good, uh, you know, and get praised by their parents. And we'll do a lot of what their parents expect them to do uh, in order to live up to the expectation of their parents or to make their parents happy. You know, kids, you know, will go off and say and do or go along with all types of things because if that's what the parent wants, then that's what the parent needs. And if they don't go along with it, they're afraid they're going to get into trouble. You know, and that's what appears uh, to be going on here is the boy is too afraid to disappoint his mother in allowing her to put him in dresses, you know, and force him to think that he is a girl. And when we go through and we take a look at the left and how the left goes through and reacts and, you know, uh, talks about everything, you know, that this whole, you know, transgender identity is becoming a social status for them, where they go off and they talk about themselves as trans or gender non-binary and all that, and they post it up, you know, on social media to get likes and follows to boost their own egos about their social status. But they also go through now and creating blogs and uh, websites in which they write about their transgender lifestyle. And, you know, they go through and what it's like to be transgendered and all that. And, of course, they monetize it, you know, with ads. And so they're promoting this whole, oh, I'm transgender or I'm gender non-binary in order to go through and get, you know, people to their website where they'll have merchandise and advertisements and all that. It's a profit scam. You know, it's a money-making scam. And this is why the left likes to create new victim groups so that they can come out and claim to be an influencer in that victim group and write all about what it's like living as that type of victim. And that draws revenue and that draws social status. And then they create, you know, their podcast and their YouTube channels, which all get monetized. They become social influencers and they get sponsors and all of that. It's a money-making scam, you know, and trying to create these new, um, I guess, victim groups. But then you got other people. You know, you got parents who are not willing to, you know, take the dive of doing, uh, you know, the things themselves, you know, dressing up, you know, in the clothing of the opposite gender, trying to claim that they go by a different name or whatever. And so now they're doing it with their kids, right? And they're going through putting their kids in dresses, snapping a picture, and then posting it on a website, and they'll label it as something like, you know, modern-day parenting or parenting of a transgender child and yada, yada, yada. And again, the whole point is to boost their social media profiles, uh, to drive traffic to a website where they got advertisements, to sell merchandise, you know, through their merch stores uh, on their websites, You know, like, I'm proud to raise a transgender child or, you know, uh, my son is actually my daughter, you know, stuff like that. And then they can also create, you know, other, you know, services like counseling, becoming an expert in the field of raising transgendered and doing coaching sessions for other parents, you know, and it's a money-making scam. 
Because no one can actually be confused here when looking at a child what gender they are or what gender they, yeah, what gender they are. There's only two options. They're either a boy or a girl. And their genitalias, give it away. Their sexual reproductive organs, give it away. Their physical developments, give it away because it's predetermined at birth. But hey, the left, you know, will never give up on a narrative, no matter how much is debunked by the facts, by science, by simple basic reality, as long as there's a way to make money and gain political power doing so. Now, the political power um, isn't, you know, fully there, but they go through and try and say, hey, if you don't believe in this, if you don't uh, go along with this, then you're a racist or you're a transphobe or, you know, they put phobes at the end of, you know, so many things. They call you a whole bunch of names. They harass you. You know, they bully you and they try to beat you into submission to go along with it. It's not because, you know, those pushing it actually believe it. They just believe they can personally benefit from it. And if they can't, you know, do it themselves because, you know, it's just completely not who they are, they're now going to do it to their children, where they force gender confusion onto their kids so that they can write about it, so that they can become an influencer about it, and so that they can boost their egos with the social media uh, profile likes and followers and, you know, all that stuff. And all of this is having a real long-term effect on the children. Right? Because, you know, if you put them on hormone blockers, that's going to stunt their development, both physically and mentally. Because remember, your brain isn't fully developed until you're 25. And 90% of people who, as, you know, uh, kids or early teens who are confused uh, about their gender because of, you know, gender dysphoria, you know, which is a body dysphoria issue, much like bulimia is, where a person who's all skin and bone still thinks they're fat because they don't see themselves how they really are. You know, gender dysphoria, 90% of the people grow out of it by the time they become adults. Right? And so when you, and part of that is because of brain development. Brain development doesn't complete until you're about 25 years old. And that we know that hormones play a big part in brain development. You know, so when they go off and they try to produce, you know, these scientific studies saying, hey, look, you know, a transgender brain, you know, a transgender female brain is no different than a biological female brain. You know, or they are very closely related. But that's only in subjects that were put on hormone blockers very early on. But if you were to go through and, you know, uh, do the same study of, you know, men who claim to be women who were never placed on hormone blockers and compare them to female brains, different every time different. A large part of the difference would be the, um, what is it, the clossum callosum or, you know, whatever, you know, uh, that little area that connects the left and the right side of the brain. You know, uh, women, it's much thicker, uh, which may allow for greater capacity to think faster and be more creative. Okay, good for you women. But, you know, People uh, placed on hormone blockers, their brains don't develop as it normally would. 
But the people who aren't put on hormone blockers, their brains uh, develop as it normally would, and they grow out of their gender dysphoria. You know, 90% of them. And then those who uh, go through, you know, uh, the hormone blockers and transition surgery, they're not better off, you know, for it. They're still just as unhappy, still just as depressed, and they still have an over 40% likelihood of committing suicide or attempting to commit suicide. So none of the things that the left is doing are claiming to try and help these kids, give them medical you know, uh, attention with transition surgery and hormone blockers. None of that actually does anything to improve their situation. They still end up greatly depressed and attempting suicide. That's not what I call help. But those who are just allowed to grow up, you know, get some, you know, maybe some therapy and some real counseling about their dysphoria, they grow out of it and they grow on and they go on to live healthy, happy, productive lives and no longer confused about the gender they are. So when we go through and we talk about, you know, the left willing to use their own kids and dress them up, you know, boys as girls and girls as boys and, you know, claim that they're transgender and put them on hormone blockers. You know, it's, it really gets into the area of child abuse. And the motivations for why they are doing so is sickening. Now, of course, there are some, you know, on the left that actually truly believe in what they're saying, you know. But the existence of complete and utter morons does not disprove biological and scientific fact. Right? I hope that makes sense to you. But then they want to go off and do transition surgery, where they want to chemically castrate men, you know, and transition them to women, where they want to cut off their genitalia or change their genitalia. But that creates a lot of problems. That is forever destroying that child's life and forever blocking them from ever having children of their own which means they probably will never be able to, you know, engage in or be part of a happy, healthy marriage and long-term relationship, which I guess, you know, makes sense for the left, considering that they think that, you know, uh, population control is part of the key to fighting climate change, that engaging in activities that would forever prevent someone from being able to have children of their own is for the good of the planet, right? I mean, that's got to be part of the theory here. That's got to be part of why it is they're doing what they're doing, despite all the evidence that they are wrong. And they're going off and say, well, you know, if they change their mind later, they can always, you know, have another surgery to change back. And I'm saying, no, it actually doesn't work like that. Because once you chop off, um, let's say, with a guy, you chop off his, you know, genitalia, you, you know, you chop off uh, his scrotum, you know, his balls and everything and try to turn it into a vagina. Well, first of all, uh, the body is going to try and uh, heal up, you know, the vaginal opening that you artificially created because it recognizes it as a wound, not part of the body. You know, it recognizes it as damage to the body to be healed. So there's got to be a lot of maintenance to it. But you can't really reattach all the nerve ending. 
you know, all of the, you know, feelings and sensations when you do the gender transition. So they're not able to enjoy sex. They're not able to enjoy later on, you know, uh, intimacy because their bodies and their nervous system and all that wasn't designed for, you know, the genitalia that you replace their biological genitalia with. And then even if later on, when they finally get to make their own decisions and they finally scrape up enough money, you know, to go back to being the boy that they are and the surgery goes through and reattaches, well, you still got all that nerve damage. And so they're still not able to fully healthily engage in intercourse or have happy sexual relations with a partner later on in life because you've already irreparably damaged their nervous system and their, you know, and their, and all feeling in that area. Right? So they're going off, forcing, you know, their uh, transgenderism onto their kids, confusing their kids about why or about what gender they are. So they and permanently damaging them for life, both in their physical development and their ability to enjoy and engage in healthy, happy, fulfilling sexual relations with future partners. But you're doing so because you want the social status. You're doing so because you want, you know, to drive people to your website so that you can promote yourself as an expert in an area and earn a little extra money, you're that sick and depraved? That is totally disgusting, and any parent engaged in that should have their children ripped away from them because they are a danger to that child. Now, luckily, uh, as the Daily Wire uh, is reporting, the Texas governor uh, has stepped in and gotten involved in this issue. And he's given an update informing uh, that uh, the Texas, you know, um, Department of Family and Protective Services are looking at the case. And, you know, as they do so, you know, uh, the good news is maybe uh, the child will be removed from his mother's custody and put into the care of his father or someplace else where he will be safe from the abuse that he is going through at the hands of his own mother. And child abuse in the name of driving, you know, people to a website or social influence for money is the sickest, lowest form of depravity I can think of involving a child. I think that's worse than child molestation. And I think these people should be locked up for a long time, you know, close to the sentencing of a murderer, you know, if not a complete life sentencing. This is just unforgivable child abuse. Hey, do you remember all those times when the left tried to claim that the Republicans had a war on women? and that the Republicans are trying to keep women from being able to achieve all that they could achieve. 
Well, it turns out that, as is mostly the case, what the Democrats accuse other people of are the very things that they themselves are engaged in. And nothing has become more evident uh, about that than the current uh, leftist view on transgenderism, right? Because they're going off trying to say, well, you can self-identify as whatever gender that you want, and, you know, society is supposed to accept the fact that despite all the scientific and biological evidence that you're a man, you can self-identify as a woman, and therefore you can go off and, you know, enjoy certain things, right? So what do I mean by this? Well, the Daily Wire is going off, and they're talking uh, about how a feminist Democrat media won't let us speak out against transgender agenda, right? And so uh, as this uh, article uh, goes on through here, in an interview on his Fox News show, uh, you know, with Tucker uh, Carlson, spoke with Women's Liberation Front board member uh, Kara Dansky, a self-described lifelong Democrat, about the controversy swirling around latest championships won by biological male in women's sports competition. Okay, and this goes through uh, regarding the war on women because this isn't just related uh, to sports. This is a much bigger war on women itself. So women uh, have athletic events. They go through, they train their entire lives for this event. You know, they grow up, you know, uh, as, you know, through kids, training, competing. They want to get to that pinnacle. They want to be able to get to being uh, the best in their sport and maybe be able to pick up a few sponsorship deals in order to make a career out of it. Well, the transgender uh, movement had come along, and it came out of nowhere pretty swiftly, where the left took what was uh, universally known as a mental illness, gender dysphoria, and decided, no, 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 this is like a civil rights movement. These people are being discriminated against. Trying to get them medical help is just wrong, and that we should accept the idea that you know, men are women and women are men, and, you know, you can just change your gender on a day-to-day basis, and that you should be uh, treated in society as the gender you want to self-describe as. Okay, so we got that. Well, men started picking up on the whole, well, shoot, you know, if I just claim I'm a woman, I can compete in women's sports where I have a biological advantage in. You know, um, now these men, you know, uh, probably wouldn't do well in men's sports uh, because they're not as good as, you know, their peers and their competitors. They're not training as hard. You know, there's just so many people that are just much more talented than them. But the bar is lower on the women's side because biologically, you know, and this isn't, you know, a knock on women or anything, but biologically, your body's built different, right? Biologically, you know, your muscle strengths and speeds and, you know, everything else is not as much as men. And that has to do with, a uh, large part, t- testosterone level. Men have much higher testosterone. Women have much higher estrogen. It's just a biological, you know, issue. It's not discriminatory. It's not bad. It doesn't mean that you're lesser uh, than men, you know. In any real way, you know, it's just in competition, 
you know, it, it, it's unfair advantage for men biologically, right? But these men, you know, have now gone through and decided, well, okay, we're going to start competing in women's sports, and we're going to identify ourselves as women in order to get in. And then, you know, surprise, surprise, the men competing in these sports are winning all the championships, getting all the trophies, being the new record holders of everything in women's sports, and the actual women, you know, who trained uh, for years and their entire life for these events are being cheated. You know, they're being cheated because they're not competing against other women. They're competing against men, men with biological advantages. And so all their training, all their hopes, all their aspirations are thrown out the window. And they're told that if you don't like it, if you speak out against it, you're a horrible person. If you speak out against it, you're a transphobe, and you'll start to be barred from these events. You'll start being denied entry to competition, to being able to compete for that sporting event that you have trained so many years for. And this attack keeps going on and on, and it's only going to get worse, right? It's only going to go through and get uh, worse over the years as men start realizing that they can go through and claim other benefits and advantages that were previously reserved for women. Now, as we go through here on the Daily Caller, you know, again, reports about a biological male winning a female sporting event. You know, NCAA runner named Conference Female Athlete of the Week. That's interesting that men get awards of Women of the Year. Women athlete, you know, the the women, uh, the MVP of a woman's sport and all of that. You know, it kind of gets really sick and depraved. And it's really, you know, going through and being an unfair attack on women, you know, as all of their events are being invaded by men who otherwise can't compete against their biological peers. Now, what does this mean going forward, though? What does this mean uh, for the future and everything? Well, it won't be that long before men realizing that women, you know, get an advantage in the workforce, get an advantage in diversity programs, There's a lot of affirmative action-like programs, a lot of programs designed specifically to promote women, and there's a lot of things uh, that are developed in government programs directed at women's businesses. So now, you know, if you're a guy, you may be thinking, okay, I'm going to claim to be a woman so I can get an edge in this job interview. And if you actually believe that you know, uh, businesses are discriminatory and wanting to hire men over women because, you know, the good old boys, you know, ruling uh, and the, you know, discrimination against women, then you would realize that, you know, if men are able to identify as women when competing for jobs, a business could look at that and goes, well, this, this is great. We can hire a man and claim we hired a woman 
for our diversity and inclusion and you know and if anyone attacks you know that this is a guy in this position we can go out and we can attack you know the accusers that we are discriminating against women as transphobe and so now men get to get an easier track into the job market by claiming to be women and then for starting their own businesses men can start going off and claiming that they are women in order to qualify for government programs aimed at women-owned businesses. And that if they're denied for being a man, well, then they can start claiming discrimination, uh, transphobic discrimination. And so men can now start creating a whole bunch of businesses, sucking up all the government programs that were initially set aside specifically for women-owned businesses. You see how this is easily going to escalate and that the left's whole transgender movement is an anti-woman movement, is an anti-woman, you know, uh, you know, war on woman movement, because now it's a bunch of leftist beta males claiming to be women in order to you know, get, suck up all the trophies and win all the women's events get a inroad uh, track towards employment, you know, because they get hired and they can still claim that they hired a woman and get all the inroads to sucking up the taxpayer dollars uh, for programs set aside for women. So what does this leave for women? Not much. You know, this this erodes and takes away anything uh, that was set up in order to try and level the playing field between men and women and you know erodes and destroys everything that was set up to encourage women to be their best to encourage women to start businesses to encourage women to reach their maximum athletic potential and it won't stop there after this whole transgender movement is completed and people are sick and tired of it they're going to start going into transracial, where now white people uh, will be able to go out there and claim that they're a different race. They'll be able to claim they're Hispanic. They'll be able to claim they're black. They'll be able to claim that they're Asian and start applying you know, as black people in order to get the affirmative action to work in their favor, applying for government programs as a black woman in order to better uh, ensure that they will get all the taxpayer money for programs designed at helping black women create, start, and successfully operate a business. You know, and all of that will start getting sucked up, and then you'll once again be called a transracial folk. You know, is what they'll come up with, or maybe they'll find a different name for it. But this is all going through and you know a full on assault on female identity now you're going well there are some that claim to be men it's like yeah but there's no advantage to that you know there are far more men trying to go out there and claim to be women than there are women trying to claim to be men because trying to be men is less appealing because we don't get nothing we don't get any benefit and white privilege is a complete and utter total myth. Male privilege is a complete, utter, total myth. 
right? Uh, so, you know, go through and all that, you know, you realize that why more people are trying to identify, be men identifying as women and not so many women trying to identify as being men. Although some still try because they believe in the myth that somehow being a man gives you an advantage, you know, uh, in life. May give you an advantage in athletics, but no amount of, you know, uh, surgery or hormone replacement therapy is going to actually even the playing field between men and women in athletics. And so all of this is going to go off and come out ahead. And at some point, you know, uh, women are going to wake up uh, to all of this and start voting, you know, Republican, which is good in order to, you know, be protected from the full on leftist beta male assault on women's sports and women uh, programs and women's, um, you know, uh, affirmative action programs for women. You know, in order to put an end to all of that. And when the left goes on to transracial uh, issues, you know, where you can identify as any minority group that you want, well, that's when the minority community is going to revolt against uh, the Democrats and their agenda because they don't want to happen to them what is currently happening to women. Now, I want to go through and take a few moments here to Go on some miscellaneous topics at hand of things that, you know, are going on, but I don't really cover in depth. And just give you a quick, brief analysis or quick, brief opinion about these issues. So the Democrats were up on Capitol Hill berating Mark Zuckerberg as he is now stating that he is not going to fact check uh, political campaign ads. And it seems like the Democrats are mad that Mark Zuckerberg would actually run ads by Democrats. It seems that a policy that allows politicians to lie, mislead, and deceive would also allow Facebook to sell more ads to those politicians, thus making your company more money. Do you see a potential problem here with a complete lack of fact-checking on political advertisements? Well, Congresswoman, I think lying is bad, and I think if you were to run an ad that had a lie, that would be bad. So you won't take down lies, or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. In a democracy, I believe that people should be able to see for themselves what politicians that they may or may not vote for. So you won't take them down. Character for themselves. Okay, so it seems like the Democrats are out there mad that Mark Zuckerberg is actually allowing Democrats to run ads, because if you were to go off and say that, you know, they should be fact-checked and any politician lying in ads should not be able to run the ads, the Democrats would not be able to run any ads because all their ads are filled with a bunch of BS and lies. But this goes into uh, what the Democrats do because they want to, you know, be the judge of what is true and what is false and then be able to take down anything that they want to claim as false, which is, They want to be able to block their political opponents from being able to advertise on social media. And they are going to go through and claim that their political opponents are the ones that are lying, therefore can't run ads. While they, who are actually lying, should be able to run all the ads that they want. Now, when they go off and they try and say, you know, uh, politicians that lie, who's going to determine what is a lie? Now, we should say that the facts and the evidence 
should you know determine what is and isn't true. But as we know by the Democrats, you know, is that they build up institutions that are designed to tell you what they believe is true or false, and that they want their liberal organizations to be the fact checkers, determining what is true and what is lie, in which case those fact checkers will deem that all their political opponents' advertisements are filled with lies and thus need to be taken down. And that the Democrats, who do lie in their campaign ads, well, their fact checkers are going to go through and say, well, these are true, so they get to run. See, this is part of the scam and the con of the Democrat parties. They try to go through and present themselves in the altruistic light, right? that they are the arbiters of truth and that they are fighting for truth and freedom when really they're fighting for propaganda and oppression. You know, of course, any good tyrant will tell you that the last thing you want to do is tell people the truth. And let's make no mistake, the left is a bunch of tyrants. So what happens here? Uh, As I've uh, stated on previous uh, videos and of my podcast, the left is good at two things. Creating narratives, imaginative stories, and building up institutions to push that narrative. So as it became evident that the media was completely biased and, you know, was in the tank politically and willing to push out blatantly false information, they had to find a way to try and bolster the credibility of the media. So they started creating these fact checker websites. You know, PolitiFact, Snopes, yada, 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 you know, built by, you know, liberals, supported by liberal donors. And then they had their, I guess, their credibility artificially bolstered or falsely bolstered by the media. Because then the media would go through and constantly go, well, you don't believe me. We had, we took a look at, you know, what these fact checkers say and the fact checkers, you know, agree with us. And, you know, anybody can go off and create a website, push any fake, false, or misleading information that they want, and get enough people, you know, to reference it and bolster it and give it a sense of credibility, especially in the age of social media, where it can be uh, all these posts, likes, and all of that can be uh, presented as social proof. Now, there are services that you can go on to uh, with Fiverr and all of that to uh, buy, you know, subscribers and followers to buy a number of likes and, you know, retweets or shares, you know, all over social media to go through and bolster the appeared credibility. And they'll even go through uh, some of the more sophisticated ones to even go through and provide comments. And then this could be used as social proof to bolster, you know, the credibility of any site or of any influencer. You know, it's the fake it until you make it strategy. And what the left wants to do is say, hey, you know, um, you shouldn't uh, allow lies and advertisements on Facebook from politicians. And then the left, you know, the left wing media and the left wing, you know, uh, fact checkers are just going to go through and deem that. All of the uh, political rivals of the Democrats, all their ads are filled with lies and need to be taken down. 
And this is part of the left's overall censorship of the Internet, information censorship, because they know big tech companies like Facebook having have engaged in censorship of conservative or right-wing voices, which in turn helps the Democrats. Now, the Democrats, you know, continued attacks, you know, on Facebook, pressure campaigns on Facebook. Maybe Mark Zuckerberg might be turning around going, man, there's just no way to please these guys. They're starting to destroy my business, trying to uh, appease them, trying to cave in to every last one of their demands, and it's never enough. And yet the other side here doesn't seem to matter how much I attack them. They, they may not like it, but they defend my right to do it. Maybe I should go for a more neutral stance. And then again, maybe this is just Facebook trying to cover up, you know, how in the tank it is, you know, for the left. We don't know. We'll see whether Facebook's, you know, a talk meets its actions going forward. But the left, you know, knows that Google is censoring, uh, you know, search results to favor, you know, left-wing voices, not based off of credibility, but based off of, you know, uh, whether or not it matches the ideology of Facebook's owners and, you know, CEOs and top executives. We know that YouTube is going off and censoring uh, the results that you get in search in order to sway political opinions. You know, same thing goes on with Twitter and so forth. So they're going through with this overall information censorship and all the censorship that is going on between you know, Google, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook just hasn't been working out as much as it should be because, you know, people can still get to their targeted audience using the ad platforms and get the truth out there. But now if they want to go off and say, hey, you know what, if we think our political opponents are lying in their advertising, even if they're not, even if what they're saying is completely true, if it doesn't go along with the leftist narrative, they want to be able to you know, claim that it's a lie, have their media surrogates claim it's a lie, and then try and bolster that claim by fact checkers, who fact checks often get debunked, by the way, um, and go off there. Then they can further add one more layer to the censorship of the Internet and suppression of information. But I will uh, commend uh, Mark Zuckerberg on this, that, you know, going through and saying in a democracy, people should be able to hear what each side has to say. And this goes through uh, with free speech. There's a reason why speech is free is because it allows people to throw out ideas and have those ideas debated, have those ideas researched so that the best ideas can rise to the top. And the bad ideas, you know, just go away. But the Democrats want to filter out all the information so that the only ideas that are heard are theirs, so that all the uh, topics and discussion is either you agree with them or you're not allowed to talk whatsoever. You're not allowed to get anything out there in any way, shape, or form. You know, and it's really getting into a bad situation where we're in unprecedented territory whereby people are saying either you say what we want you to say, either you agree with us, or we're going to attack you. We're going to destroy your life. 
you know, you are not allowed to exercise your First Amendment. Now, there's a good, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's a documentary or a movie. I'm sure it's a documentary that is coming out explaining a, a, a lot of this and what's going on. And I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer for you right now. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will be used against you. You are not listening. I want your job to be taken from you. A protest has turned violent at California, Berkeley. This is why we're fighting for the soul of America. You should be able to share ideas without fear of being fired from your job or shouted down. You are not to be heard. This is one of the few things one could say we have no precedent for in the United States. You have the right to remain silent. The only way we separate the good ideas from the bad ideas is to be free to say whatever we want about them. Anything you say will be used against you. There's no free speech for fascists. Your posts on Facebook, Twitter, and social media will be saved to shame you. Kevin Hart has stepped down from hosting this year's Oscars. Anything you say that we don't like will be used to shut you up. You can't be funny. It's creating an atmosphere of fear and repression, and it's going to bust. You cannot think differently. It makes it difficult for you to learn from other people. Isn't it spooky you were having this discussion? You can't challenge us. Kids grew up dipped in Purell, playing soccer games where they never kept score. There is no debate. The type of diversity that they hate is diversity of thought. We reserve the right to be offended by everything. No university should ever create a safe space. You're not going to protect people. And so the best you can do is to make them strong. bothers me for the young people who are being deprived of anything that could open their minds. You have the right to remain silent. And so, yeah, it's called No Safe Spaces because this whole, you know, attack on Facebook is just another layer to censorship. Okay, so going on here, uh, the left is also pushing additional bad ideas, which may be, you know, one of the reasons why they are doing so much to attack free speech and engage in information suppression. And yeah, it's pretty obvious. I mean, look at some of the bad ideas that they're coming up with. Uh, Alexandria Casio Cortez says America needs to have a real conversation about abolishing prison. Why? Why? What are we going to do with the criminals? How are we going to enforce the laws? You know, what is this? You know, this is like, you know, disarming police uh, overseas. You know, you commit a crime, they come running at you, and they yell, stop, or I'll say stop again. Yes, that's an old Robin Williams joke uh, there. But in any event, so let's say, okay, let's say we abolish prisons. So what do you do with people who commit crimes and break the law? What do you do with murderers? You know, if we don't have uh, any prisons because we abolish them, you murder someone, what, it's just a fine? And so as long as you can pay the fine, I guess you have no problems. You can just go out and kill anybody who's an inconvenience to you. I mean, is that what Ocasio-Cortez wants? Oh, what about child rapists? 
is uh, Casio Cortez now saying that we need to abolish prisons. Therefore, you know, child rape, that's no big deal. That's not a problem. You know, we can go off and just, you know, give them a fine and send them on their merry way. You know, they'll get the celebrity treatment. You know, hit them with a fine and let them go on their way to commit the act again. What about rapists in general? Don't they deserve to be behind bars? Don't they deserve to be in prisons? But she wants to go off and she makes this blatant statement that shows just how stupid and ignorant she is, and yet she wants to go out there and attack, you know, uh, any, uh, you know, Facebook or anybody else that dares allow a conservative to come on and say, hey, this is a pretty stupid idea. Because think about, as she goes through and talks about abolishing prison, if information censorship, you know, if the left gets their way and, you know, all, you know, views contrary to the Democrats, you know, are pushed out of public view, not allowed in public spaces, no one's allowed to talk about it out of fear of punishment or fear of physical attack, then the left can come out and they can, you know, just make these statements and who's going to counter them. And if nobody's countering them or no one's allowed to speak up and say anything about this and discuss the ideas, well, it's designed to create the impression then that everybody agrees with them. You know, and therefore this should be policy because there's widespread agreement because, you know, the lack of any, you know, buddy speaking out against it must be perceived as agreement with it, but no one's allowed to speak out against it. And any attempts to will be shut down, sent and censored out of the public square. Now, does this start to make sense? Why they're doing everything they can? to try and censor the internet of all dissenting opinions from the ones that they want. And of course they want to be able to go off and talk about getting rid of the electoral college. Now, of course the Democrats want to get rid of the electoral college um, because it's an obstacle to them being able to rule with an iron fist. They, they Let's face it. The United States is not a direct democracy. We're a representative republic. And the left has gone through and they have tried to, you know, rig the Electoral College as best possible. You know, and they do this by, you know, illegal immigration. You know, and they get, they bring in illegal immigrants. Then they gave them sanctuary. Then they get counted in the census. The increased population means new seats are created in the House of Representatives and delegated to those liberal states, which gives them greater influence over legislation. But reading the Constitution, the number of House seats that you have, plus your two senators, determines your electoral votes, so they're able to go through and bolster their electoral votes, giving them greater influence in the presidential race based off of illegal immigrants. But now they want to just get rid of the Electoral College, because even with all that rigging, they can't guarantee a victory every time. So they're trying to say, we need a direct democracy. Why? Well, because they keep going off the popular vote. Oh, the popular vote. Hillary Clinton should have won. Right? Well, if you take a look at the map uh, the, uh, you know, uh, from 2016, you see it's 90% red, right? Which means, you know, for the 
you know, popular vote, they only need three states in order to completely dominate the federal government from the executive branch. The other 47 states, you really don't have a say in government, and that's what they want because it's a lot easier to get an iron-fisted control and complete control over all information, all education systems, and and everything that people are allowed to see, read, access, and are told in three different areas than it is to try and do that nationwide. They've been trying to do that nationwide for a long time, and they haven't been able to successfully do it. So now, if they can just get, you know, a direct, you know, uh, democracy vote, you know, popular vote, then 47 states become irrelevant in the election, and three states become all that they need, you know, and therefore the rest of us be damned. And what is a direct democracy? You know, what would that look like? Well, the best way that I have heard this is a direct democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner, right? So it would be, you know, a bunch of people who, you know, may not have gone through and tried to achieve anything themselves, voting to take money, voting to take everything away from those who actually worked hard and just give it to themselves so that they can stay home and play PlayStation and binge watch on Netflix. You know, the Electoral College was put in place as a safeguard from the tyranny of the majority. And I know some of you are confused by that, but it was designed to make it so that the whoever runs for president has to get a consensus from the state, not just voted in by a handful of large population areas. And the election for president is not a national election. I know they want to go off and say it's a national election, but it's the result of 50 individual state elections where you got to get the majority vote in the individual state. And then each state, based off of the majority vote in that state, reports their electoral votes based off of that. And then whoever wins the popular vote in the most states wins the president. And this makes sure that instead of going through and saying, hey, all we need is California, Illinois, and New York, you know, and if that's all you needed to get elected, what does that mean? That means that, you know, the president, if that's how they got elected, would only con- be concerned about those three states, which means all the policy, all the taxpayer programs, all the government programs would go to benefit those three states at the expense of the other 47 states. And it wouldn't matter because those three states are all that's needed for them to continue winning. You know, and so it's much easier for them to go through uh, that way than to have to actually go about governing for the entire country. Okay, and then uh, one last thing here. Uh, So Breitbart, you know, is talking about, uh, you know, Democratic uh, Representative Al Green. Trump's hate has caused societal change in very harmful ways. You got to love how the left always tries to blame Trump and conservatives for the things that the Democrats do. The Democrats are a hateful uh, party. 
All they do is attack people. All they do is assault people. All they do is call people names if they don't agree with them. The left has gone through an indoctrination in which by people are now being taught that if people don't agree with you, then they must be a horrible white supremacist or a horrible istophobe. You know, things ending in is, sexist, racist, or phobe, transphobe, homophobe, whatever. And that, you know, instead of engaging in debate, all you need to do is, if someone disagrees with you, is insult them and then uh, physically assault them and then try to demand that they get fired from their job. And yet they want to go off and try and claim that Trump changed it. No, the Democrats, through over a decade, since even before Obama took office, it was the Democrats whose actions, behavior, and hate you know, had been going through and transforming the country. And the Democrats have always been a hateful party. I mean, you look at the history of the Democrat Party, and it is responsible for nearly every atrocity in this country, every moral stain in this country. And yet they want to go off and act like they're the ones that are bringing justice. They're the ones who are the mature adults. Yeah, mature adults. Every time someone disagrees with you, you call them a bunch of names. And you send your attack dogs on them. I mean, it's really quite pathetic. You know, I I don't know whether the Democrats are really this stupid or really this delusional as to think that, you know, that no one is paying attention to all the hateful, despicable things that they're doing. Now, of course, you know, if you look at Trump, yeah, you know, he, he leaves himself open to this because he gets down in the mud with the Democrats. He sinks to their level online, you know, on Twitter and, you know, when he's giving press conferences and everything. And, you know, I know there are some people that say, hey, he should rise above it. He should be all presidential and ignore all the despicable, horrible, hateful things that the Democrats say on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And then there are some people that say, hey, you know, if the Democrats can dish it, they can take it. Therefore, we're glad we elected Trump because he's going to dish it right back to them. But when it all comes down to it, you know, the Democrats, they're the party of hate. They always have been. And they're also, they're also the party that is incapable of ever taking responsibility for their own action. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else who did this. If you don't agree with me, you're a horrible, hateful person. We're going to physically assault you. And once you're physically assaulted, we're going to blame it on somebody else. Oh, it wasn't our fault. It was such and such fault. That's the way the Democrats operate. Always have, always will. Because the Democrats, they're not an American political party. Their entire ideology is based off of hating the Constitution, hating freedom, hating capitalism, hating everything that made this country great, and support everything that has led to the starvation, death, and destruction of every other country. 
All right, so when you go through and you take a look at this, uh, it, you got to wonder, how is there anybody left that supports the Democrat Party? Well, it's because of fake news and a monopoly or near monopoly control of the education system whereby people are not educated, they're not taught, you know, how to think critically or research information or do any of the things that would lead to the truth. They're just taught and are indoctrinated to repeat what they are told to say and believe without question. And it's only through free information. It's only through the First Amendment. It's only through the free exchange of ideas that people, you know, are able to figure out and separate truth from fiction. And that's why the Democrats need to do everything possible to assault the First Amendment and keep people from discussing ideas because they can't have people stumbling on to the truth. Hey, YouTube viewers, thank you so much for your time and attention in watching this video. If you want to get more, click on the video playing off to the side here. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe and the notification bell so that you'll be notified when new videos and content drops. Thank you, and I appreciate it.